All right, we are back, um, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and the rest of that saying. Um, yeah, so uh, continuing on with October, uh, we watched uh, a pretty classic horror movie, I would say. Um, what did we watch, Paige? We watched John Carpenter's The Thing. We did. Um, yeah, this was this was one that I've been very very excited to show you um over the years because this is um personally this is my favorite horror film like ever um i i absolutely love this movie um so what did you think i really liked it yeah i didn't really know what to expect going into it um i had heard that the thing was like multiple different things and kind of a shapeshifter uh, that's really all I knew. Um, full honesty, I am very new to this horror genre. Um, as Dallas knows very well, it's only been in the last couple of years that I've even touched any horror films. Um, and was that due to a bad experience from like one movie just rocked your world, or just the no? What I you think knew I of the genre. You, I you just thought it wasn't always for you. thought that I was a wimp. Okay. And that I just didn't want to touch any scary things. Uh, but as I've watched horror films, I've realized that each brand of horror is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's not always scary. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I did not really consider the thing to be very scary. Yeah, um, I would say it's a really good scary movie. But at the end of the day... I wouldn't say it. I wouldn't say it scares me after the movie's ended. It's and like while the movie's playing, it's not that I'm watching it like, oh no, I, I hope the thing doesn't come for me. It's, dude, I, I really I, I worry for that character and I worry for that character. I I hope that guy makes it out alive, um, and just the tension of like. Will they, won't they? And also, are they, aren't they? Yeah, um, that part I felt was really cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, the thing does it so, so well. Uh, but yeah, what you were talking about with horror, I've always, um, I feel like a lot of people will just sort of decide, I don't like scary movies, and they just put all scary movies into one big clump. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different Which I flavors. totally did for mm-hmm. decades. Yeah, it is understandable. Um, but, like, you know, I there, there are tons of scary movies that I adore. And then there are certain, uh, like, subsets of the horror genre that I rarely touch. Um, I, I have done some, like, demonic possession movies. Mm-hmm. Not too terribly many because that can very quickly um kind of cross a line for me just it it becomes a little too unsettling um but uh then there's also like the um just overly gory um people call it like torture porn um so like your your saws and your hostels and um at one point in my life, I saw the remake or prequel, one of them. It was uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And by the end of it, I just felt gross. I, I had such an absolute regret in watching that and putting myself through that. Um, and I mean, like, did it? Did I find it scary? Yeah. Did I find it disgusting? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think... It's, it's always really sad to me when people will just sort of say, I don't do horror because y- there, there may be a certain brand of horror that if you were to try it out, you'd be like, oh, this is my jam. Um, or there are movies, um, like last week we talked about Beetlejuice, that has like a um, horror, it's almost like it's like a comedian wearing like, a horror shawl or something. Mm-hmm. Like, so it, it looks scarier than it is. And there's a lot of movies like that. Um, I would love to uh, do an episode on uh, like Killer Clowns from Outer Space or something like that. Where like it's so cheesy 
and so campy that that's the point. Like people love that movie because it's so silly. Um, I think uh, I've discovered my flavor of horror film. Ooh. I like the monster movies. Okay. Is it you like them because of how uh, unaffected you are by them? I think so. Okay. Because I can like watch it and enjoy it. And I, it's not like real to me. Like I know that, you know, as I'm watching Quiet Place, like that monster is not real. It's not ever going to come after me. Right. But like other flavors of horror, like possession and like that shit. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. What about like Haunted House stuff? (sighs) That I don't love. Okay. Because they rely on jump scares. Yeah. Which like 100% those get me every time. But I don't find myself enjoying the movie because I'm just waiting for the next jump scare. Okay. Like okay. when we watched Winchester, mm-hmm. that movie scared the shit out of me. Yeah. That happened a few years ago for the audience. Yeah. But like I didn't enjoy it. Really? Okay. So I don't enjoy jump scares. Okay. Yeah, and While they me, are effective at being scary, I do not enjoy them. For me, the uh, a good jump scare is really fun. And a movie that knows how to uh, craft a jump scare and how to um, build the tension before a jump scare. I agree with that. I think a well-placed jump scare every now and then is okay. Okay. Like, Winchester just relied so heavily on the jump scares that like i hated it okay but like it chapter one had a couple of very well-placed jump scares and i love that movie okay um yeah i'd be interested uh i i don't know if you're ready for it like if if winchester was too much for you but uh there's a movie called the woman in black i've heard of that one it is so damn good it is phenomenal um, and I remember there was a moment where that like tension you feel that's like building up to a jump scare. I haven't seen it in years, but from what I remember, there was a portion of the movie where that tension building where it's like, oh shoot, something's gonna, oh, and he's, he's just getting closer and closer. And you know, th- there's, there's noises behind that door and he's getting closer to the doorknob or something. That feeling lasted for like a solid, like, 10 minutes from what i remember now maybe it was just you know i I go back and rewatch it and it's like that's 30 seconds (laughs) (laughs) um but i i remember that movie just just grabbing you and not letting go just felt like a a hand around your throat it was so impressively well crafted um and i also feel like with some scary movies like some you can watch multiple times and continue to enjoy it and some like the enjoyment comes in the first experience. Yeah. The, so the like, mystery of the scare. Yeah. Once that's gone, why? So like I loved Quiet Place and mm-hmm. Quiet Place 2. I haven't ever watched them again because I don't know that it would be enjoyable a second time. Yeah. We, but uh... like with The Thing, mm-hmm. I feel like I could rewatch that and still enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, We did mention this in our questions episode. I can't remember if it was part one or part two. But um, one part of uh, the reason why I personally haven't revisited either of the quiet places is just because the um, feeling of silence and the focus uh, that I gave to the movie in the theater, the fact that I know I wouldn't be able to recreate the film, the, the experience to that extent, I haven't attempted again mm-hmm. since then but uh yeah um i feel like if i were to rewatch a quiet place there would be a lot about it that i'd still be like oh my gosh this is so so good mm-hmm. um, and then there are other things um where once you know how it all plays out if there's any sort of mystery or um uh almost like a whodunit mm-hmm. sometimes once you get to the end then your second time watching it is you could a very pick up on more of that experience. like foreshadowing exactly yeah um 
once you know uh, how what lies beneath ends, rewatching it and you know um, where everyone stands in the story. I still have not seen that movie. That's that's another very very effective one. That I feel like that one kind of walks this line where I consider that a really really good horror movie. Some people. I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, that's not a horror movie, that's a thriller. And I'm like, shut up. Like, (laughs) whenever people call scary movies thrillers, I'm like, that's just like, I I feel like that's just a faster-paced horror movie. But either way, shut up. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Um, Well, we are 10 minutes into this episode. We've hardly talked about Sean Connery. Should we actually talk about the thing? thing? We probably should. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we have a movie podcast because we love talking about movies. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, um, I, this was one of those movies that growing up, I'd seen bits and pieces of it kind of a lot. And, um, I've said it before, my parents own a, a collectible toy store in Burbank, California. Um, and so I had seen, uh, the poster for the thing over the years, I'd seen action figures based on the different characters, the different uh, um, forms of the yeah, thing. Yeah, the, the different forms that the thing takes throughout the movie. Um, and so, yeah, there. It, it, my first time watching it, part of me had that uh, thought process of, oh, that's where that thing comes from. Oh, that's why it looks like that at this point. Um there were other times, like uh, uh, one of the characters. I that is, I'm I'm very very bad with the character names in this movie. But there's Same. so there's one guy specifically who I I kind of took notice of him partway through the movie, and he has like uh, curly hair, and all of a sudden it just sort of I clued into it. I was like, oh, they're gonna give him chest compressions. And his head is going to fall off. And it's going to become a spider. Yeah. And then I get to that scene and I was like, oh, it's a defibrillator. I was way off. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, there was one part when, in, at the start of the movie. Mm-hmm. It basically opens on the guys in the helicopter shooting at a dog. Yeah. I looked Dallas straight in the face and I was like, if something happens to this dog, I'm not watching this movie. And the look on his face told me everything. It told it no. Yeah. There's well, no there's no way a look on my face is like, that dog is gonna turn into a bunch of shit. <laughs> so warning for fellow dog lovers and bad I, shit happens yeah, to I'm, all of the dogs. Every fucking dog. I'm still yeah. very peeved about that. Yeah. Um, which I, I will say there's kind of a weird sort of trope, I think, in horror films to be like, how can we scare the audience? Let's fuck up a dog. And it's just kind of like, bro, um, why? John Carpenter's The Thing, that is one movie where I'm like, I understand like that works well into the narrative. How are you going to introduce the alien to the other people? Bring it in the form of a creature that they will totally want to defend and protect. That makes sense. And there's no way, if a dog is acting weird, that wouldn't register on on the radar of any of the guys. Like, if all of a sudden, one of the guys were to, like, go out and then return, and suddenly he's not acting normal, they're gonna clue into that. But, yeah, having a, a dog do that... um, it's able to interact with everyone for quite a while before raising suspicion, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I really, really thought that was um, well done. Um, sorry, the other day I, I finally got around to watching a completely different horror film and they kill a dog in that one too. And that time I was like, that was unneeded. That was so dumb. Shut up. Um, but yeah, with this one, uh, not only... Does a dog get, well, do all the dogs, like we said, get totally messed up? But one of the most iconic uh, forms that the thing takes in this is dog-based. So I I think uh, it also led to 
really interesting character design. Um, there's also a, a dog alien in the third alien movie. Do you remember that? There is. Yeah. yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. Just horror loves incorporating dogs. Um, but, uh, yeah. So as soon as the dog was on screen, I did have that moment of like, this is going to annoy Paige and she will have a very, very hard time seeing past that and continuing to focus on the movie. And I was right. That's exactly what happened. But I still ended up liking it. You so... still ended up liking it. I was very, very impressed. Um, Just yeah. don't mess with dogs. Yeah. Um, but if they're in the Arctic and they're like, we've got a, a kennel filled to the brim with cats. Why? Are you pulling a sled with a bunch of kittens? No. Oh my gosh, could you imagine? Ugh, no. Um, so yeah, like, if if there was an, uh, an Antarctic outpost without any dogs, it wouldn't really make any sense. And if all of this stuff happens to all these guys, and then at the end, it's like, and the dogs were all fine. <laughs> it also wouldn't make any sense. Like, if, if one of the guys was like, I have this pet iguana. The iguana has to be incorporated <laughs> into your story at some point, you know? I feel um, like every movie we cover, we have to talk about what happens to the dog. Yeah, that, that <laughs> like, needs to become part of our, like, we need to have, like, a uh, end the dog segment or whatever. Um, Don't worry. It will always get brought up with me on here. Yeah. Uh, one thing that was kind of interesting as I've been thinking about this. So it's a uh, scientific research outpost mm -hmm. in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. What are they sciencing? What are they researching? Like it, looking through every character, it's like, well, you've got uh, Kurt Russell. Uh, he's the pilot. Yeah, he's the pilot. You've got uh, the one black guy who's the cook. You've got mm -hmm. the other black guy who is also there. Um, you've got... You have a doctor. You've got a doctor. You've got uh, Clark, who handles the dogs. And so it's just like a bunch of these characters who are like, in case we need to go somewhere, he can fly. In case we need to sled somewhere, he wrangles he the dogs. He has the dogs. In case something bad happens, he's the doctor. Yeah, in why are they there? <laughs> in case they need to communicate with people, Windows is the radio guy. But, like, what are they what doing are they there? Doing? They never actually talk about. Well, and it's like, and every country has a post down there, but the Norwegians spend a lot of time five miles away from their post. Yeah. Like, why? What? Yeah. Like, how, how did they just stumble upon an alien spaceship five miles from their Antarctic post? Yeah. Like, um so yeah that that is one thing that uh is really funny to me how it's just like what are you guys we're scientists oh what do you do science okay do, do you care to elaborate no why not <laughs> never you probably wouldn't understand it's all sciencey <laughs> um so yeah um but uh i i did read one of the trivia facts um, pretty much boiled down to uh, John Carpenter really wanted to make a horror film but where all of the main characters are very you know intelligent guys who know how to deal with situations mm -hmm. as opposed to a slasher film where you've got a bunch of teenagers who are like let's hide behind the, the chainsaw collection or such a good idea um, there's there's a something hunting us i know let's go off and have sex in the woods like um he, he wanted a bunch of guys who when shit hits the fan they know enough about uh the the human anatomy to be able to figure out what's going wrong why it's going wrong and then uh how can we fix it he wanted people who can strategize that sort of thing and i think that really does come across it does especially and I did kind of feel like this was a stretch in the movie, but when he's like, we're going to test everybody's blood. 
because clearly this organism is a whole bunch of like cells that can think for themselves and defend themselves which i don't know how he knew that but maybe it's because he's a smart science guy maybe there's just science behind it i think it's that uh if it's going to mimic the the human body um and and like uh because I, I I'm pretty sure they do that after he sees the head mm-hmm. alien the the head spider yeah. and so that's what sort of shows him as soon as the body seems to be or the the torso and below is compromised the head is able to have enough self awareness to improvise its own escape route um, uh, uh, exclusively like without the assistance of the torso. And so at that point, he's like, if that's true that, you know, head can ditch the rest of the body and protect itself, there's a chance down to its most fundamental building blocks. It can do the same. Okay. Fine. Uh, Which it wasn't until this time that that moment when they like look over and the head is crawling away. You can kind of tell that, Kurt Russell clocks that and sort of thinks about it like, oh, what information can I gather from what's taking place in front of me? Um, so, yeah, I, I really, really love that uh, it's not just a series of, holy shit, this is crazy. Holy shit, this is crazy. Holy shit, this is crazy. But you've got characters who are like, every time this thing screws us over in a new way, we learn more about it. How'd you feel about the jump scare of the blood? I mean, I saw it coming. Okay. For so, me, I remember my I first think it time. was just like tense, like as they were like trying mm-hmm. each one because like you knew one of them was mm-hmm. going to be it and like yeah. that would be a big reveal. And so I guess it's just like the who of it was what was surprising. I do love the fact that it's tense as they're doing each one. But the one that it turns out to be is the only time they sort of like nonchalantly do it mm-hmm. when they're like, all right, I'm going to test yours last. First, I'm going to test this guy. Holy shit. Like, and that's the, um, they, they specifically like build up tension, fake you out, build up tension, fake you out. Don't build up tension. That's the one that gets you. And, um. So yeah, I, I think the the blood scene is really really well done. Yeah. Um. I did see a uh, fun fact um, that after they shot the scene with the flamethrower, Kurt Russell pulled a prank on John John Carpenter uh, by covering his face and head with bandages and claiming he'd gotten burned, <laughs> which kind of a dick move, Kurt Russell, but. Eh. I mean, I, maybe John Carpenter has a good sense of humor. I want to know, like, how long did he pull the prank? What extent were these bandages? Like, did he go to, like, one of the makeup guys and be like, give me all your bandages? <laughs> or was it just like he came in with, like, you know, a couple band-aids on his hand and he was like, ow. And John Carpenter was like, really? And he was like, nah. Or was it like he comes like hobbling in he's like i may not be able to act today that's my kurt russell impersonation <laughs> good job <laughs> thank you <laughs> um but uh yeah so um i i would love to uh, get more of that story um but uh oh of all of the thing iterations throughout the movie what would you say is your favorite probably the spider head yeah i i think it's probably spider head for me as well or the like two skull like almost humanoid thing oh the one they find in the norwegian yeah site. yeah because you can tell it was like in the process of learning how to become human mm-hmm. um that is one thing i will say um uh, they it actually shows that happening in the 2011 thing movie, hmm. and it is a really good scene. 
Um, so yeah, I, I don't think 2011's thing is nearly as good as John Carpenter's. It does not hold a candle, but there are moments throughout that are actually really, really good. And I think the reason why it's not nearly as good is because it's competing with, like I said before, my all-time a favorite. classic. Yeah. 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 It's a classic. It's my favorite of all time. Um, I consider it the goat of horror. I hate the term goat. I, I think the term... Why did you use it, though? I don't know. It was a knee-jerk reaction. Now I want to amputate my knees. Um, but, uh, oh, fun fact. John Carpenter has stated that of all his films, this is his personal favorite. So, I have something in common with John Carpenter. Um, Dumb question moment. Yep. What are his other movies? Have I seen his other movies? Uh, you've seen Halloween. Oh, I have, yeah. 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 Uh, which, uh, at some point in this, it does mention... Uh, okay, so the film's budget for The Thing is $15 million. Which is huge for a horror film. Huge for a horror film, especially at that time. Yeah. Nowadays, $15 million, I'm, I'm sure, is minuscule. But Halloween, he did that for 375000 that's insane. So fifteen million after he'd done a three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollar, which this is the beauty of the horror genre mm-hmm. that, like, with just such a small budget, you can really prove yourself and then just take off. Yeah. Um, now, with that said, tragically, a lot of the these trivia facts that I've gone through uh, when this came out. It was hated. I have like, read that. Critics ripped on this thing. No one liked it. It got absolutely panned. No one went to see it. What were they watching in 1982, though? Like Apparently, it was getting absolutely bitch slapped by E.T. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, kind of the uh, extraterrestrial... They want a friendly guy, not a monster. Um, and oh, um, I'm I'm probably gonna uh, butcher this name. I apologize, but Ennio Maracon, I think is is the way it's pronounced. Um, but uh, he was the guy that did the score for this movie. Um, he later went on to do the score for Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight. Yeah. And I saw that. Some of the unused um, music for the thing, he then recycled and put it into Hateful Eight, which the uh, the score for the thing, he got a Razzie. Yeah, for worst for score. Worst score that year, and then, so like I said, he used unwritten or unused stuff for the Hateful Eight soundtrack. He won an Oscar for the Hateful Eight soundtrack. Which is bananas. Yeah, like, I, I really think it just... Um, when people watched the thing, they weren't expecting it to be incredible. And so everything they could see that wasn't good, they ripped on. And I, I think that's how a lot of critics are. Um, they... Uh, they, they make their money in not loving everything. And so the more cynical you can be, the more successful you'll be as a critic. Um, and so there, there are times when critics are just too harsh on movies when they first come out. And, and John Carpenter's The Thing? Yeah. G- very I feel like good people love it now. Oh, yeah. And that's another thing. As soon as it came out on uh, home video people started watching it and and really raving about it but uh apparently john carpenter it was really really rough on him because he put so much work and effort into this that it really broke him when it it got such terrible reviews and he was very very um happy to see that it it got a cult following and and fan love uh once it came out for home release but yeah, dude, like... Apparently, it came out on the same day as Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Yes, yeah. 
both movies were met with unfavorable reactions by the critics. Um, and they were beaten by a more positive and kind E.T., um, which was the biggest hit of 1982. So, I mean, I'm not a huge Ridley Scott fan anymore. But... Yeah, Rid- Ridley Scott is interesting because he's, uh, early in his career, I think he created some relentlessly iconic and great films. And lately, uh, he just has nosedive. Some pretty meh movies overall. And then, in addition to his uh, less than impressive films, he's also constantly coming out with more and more statements that um, make him so unlikable. Um, so yeah, and I, I, I think. Part of that is that uh, he, he built up a name for himself where the name Ridley Scott carries a lot of weight. And so because of that, he kind of convinced himself that he can do no wrong and that everyone should jump when he gives the say-so. And it's just not the case. Like, no. Um, and I, I feel like that has happened to several people in Hollywood throughout the years. Um I think at some point uh, that kind of happened to Eddie Murphy, where he was so successful, such a big name, that people stopped telling him when his ideas were bad, and that's how he got The Adventures of Pluto Nash and uh, Haunted Mansion and things like that. Um, I think uh, to some extent uh, that happened to George Lucas, where he made Mm. Star Wars and then was able to just um, fund his own movies so no one could ever tell him to try reworking a scene or something like that and so because of that he started making odd decisions with his stories and uh, yeah I think Ridley Scott um, has not only used his own ego to make poorer films he's also used his ego to make insensitive statements throughout the years um, have you seen Prince of Darkness or In the Mouth of Madness? I have not. I've heard Because apparently the thing and those two movies are like a trilogy. Yeah, which I don't... I'd be interested to find out what that means. um, Because... Like, are we talking like Cornetto Trilogy? Yeah, Cornetto Trilogy or um, the modern Western trilogy of... Uh, Sicario, Heller High Water, and Wind River, where it's yeah. three movies with a similar vibe, but story-wise, narratively, they're but very, it's not very like different. Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, um, where if you see any of them without seeing the one that came before, you're lost. Uh, I don't know. Can um, confirm. <laughs> I would, I would assume it's probably more modern Western trilogy esque. Um, because for how much I, I love, um, the thing, no one's ever been like, well, have you seen it in the mouth of madness? Wait, you love the thing, but you've never seen the, you know, precursor or the sequel. Like, no. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was very interesting to me. Um, I did know that the special effects guy, Rob Botton. Um, I knew that because of his work in this, uh, he just put so much time and energy and focusing, focusing so much on, uh, like such gruesome imagery that he actually had to like check himself into like a hospital or rehab or something like that. Um, what I didn't know, he was only 22 when he started this project. Whoa. Holy shit. That's so young. All of those creatures, like even the ones you didn't like, like the dog one, mm-hmm. a 22-year-old made that. That's very impressive, actually. That's insane. Like, when I was 22, I was not doing anything noteworthy from what I remember. Um, Who is doing anything noteworthy yeah. at 22? Like I was having my mind blown by the first Avengers movie. 
Um, yeah. 22 years old, and he did the special effects stuff for The Thing. Are you also, out of your I mind? read that they refrigerated their sound stages to like 40 degrees Fahrenheit, even though it was like over 100 degrees outside in LA as they were filming. But there were some scenes that Kurt Russell had to like take a puff of a cigarette before so that his, just, just to make his breath his could breath. be seen. Yeah. Um, Which that is crazy that they just like straight up refrigerated a soundstage. Maybe that's normal. I don't know. Um, I, I would be interested to find out like how difficult is that? Because I feel like sound stages are oftentimes a very like sealed off space. I mean, depending on, you know, um, what the project is that they're working on. Um, but yeah. And what was the size of the soundstage? Are we, cause a lot of sound stages can be big as, you know, aircraft carriers. Others, I would think can be very small. Um, but yeah, very interested to find out. And is it like, um, when you open the door to the soundstage, is there a door to the outside or is it like, once you exit this door, you're just in like a different part of the building. So they only needed to refrigerate a portion of the building that was insulated by more building. Or is it like, I would assume that's probably it. I would hope that's what it is. Just from yeah. having worked in a refrigerated warehouse before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. I, and... I worked in a, a freezer for target and that sucked. Um, but yeah, in order to get to the freezer, you have to walk through the refrigerator and in order to get into the refrigerator, there's like um, hanging plastic that you know just keeps that much more air in. Um, See, so yeah, I would hope that you know if if a door doesn't get shut all the way, they're not just letting hundred degree air into the um, soundstage. Um, but yeah, like so much of that, I I would be very very interested and. Um, I'm sure there's uh, special effects videos on YouTube and stuff, but uh, yeah, from from what I can see, just from the um, iTunes copy of the thing that I have, uh, those special special features that can be found on the DVD and stuff like that, I don't have access to, which sucks. But oh well. But we will survive. We um, will survive. Another fun fact. Nick Nolte and Jeff Bridges both turned down the role of McCready. Yeah, that and was insane to me. Bill Lancaster wrote the script with Harrison Ford and Clint Eastwood in the lead role. And they were both considered. Obviously, they did not play the role, but... Yeah, that... I. I, I feel like they could have done very similar performances but at the same time like i i love kurt russell in this role um he did a really good job he did um one line that like i always forget just how funny it is is when he loses the chess game and he opens up oh my gosh dumps his uh whiskey into it or whatever it is just cheating bitch and walks <laughs> off like one of the few pieces of entertainment you have in antarctica is this chess computer which at the time seems like it, it it's sizable it seems like it's probably expensive you lose one game and you're just like fuck you <laughs> right <laughs> okay damn well then you have the other guys that are like watching vhs recordings of the dating game mm-hmm. and Oh, um, just how much that ages. Yeah. It's hilarious to me. Um, and then I also love when uh, they're talking about, like, we should go up to the um, Norwegian outpost. And the guy's like, yeah, I can uh, drive you up there in the in the skiff. Yeah, no, we're not doing that. Hey, thanks for considering it, though. <laughs> <laughs> He's so good. Uh, I, I feel like the humor in this and the humor in the first Alien movie are very similar. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. there's a moment when um a, a, another movie that I should be way better with names than I am, but um 
the two guys who work like down in um, engineering or something like that. Ripley's trying to talk to him and they're like having to yell over like all the really noisy machinery and the steam coming out of the vents and stuff. And so they're um, having this conversation stuff. Finally, she's like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go talk to someone. I'll be right back. So she walks off and then one of them just turns like a lever or a switch and all that loud noise just shuts off immediately. Hilarious. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Um, See, so yeah, I, I think um, both of those movies do a really, really good job of introducing humor in order to remind us that these characters are very human and very relatable and very likable in order to then... Um, almost make it scarier you worry more about them because you find them funny when they're just hanging out mm-hmm. um so yeah i i thought that was character building character world building um so much about it is is so well done well written well crafted obviously the uh, special effects in this are are phenomenal um I, they do hold up decently well. Do you not think they're they're very good special effects? Not all the time. Okay. But I do think they are just like a product of their time. Yeah. I, I think um, for considering that uh, this like movie came out. Like when the little out, like tentacles are whipping around. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was a little like campy hmm. and weird interesting okay it looked just like licorice was being like tossed around yeah um like there, there is that portion of it that's like can i figure out how that was done on the day yeah but if i'm su- suspending my disbelief watching this as an audience member um i can appreciate that it was all done practically though so yeah and the the concept of those like l- licorice things if I'm suspending my disbelief and that is some part of the alien, I feel like that adds um, another layer of, I, I don't want to touch that creature right there, but I also don't want to be touched by the little spindly things that are falling in out of it. And so yeah. I, I feel like it gives, it almost makes the threat ranged. It's, it's not just a don't get within touching distance. Don't get within... Flinging distance. Flinging distance, yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I think uh, those like spindly little things just add to, to how terrifying the creature is. Um, but... Uh, Do you consider this movie scary? Uh, like I said, like I, I find it very scary with the um, mindset of I want these characters to survive. Okay. Um, but the, okay, it's over. Let's go to bed. Let's turn off the lights. Can I sleep soundly tonight? I'm fine. Um, but I feel like, kind of like what you've discovered, it's very, very rare that monster movies have that effect on me um i've had that feeling um not in a long time but definitely when i was younger uh zombie movies um if it was a good scary zombie movie um you know trying to fall asleep that night there was that like the lights turn out and i'm like "Mm, maybe i need some you know turn up the brightness on my clock or something Mm -hmm. just to kind of i want to be able to see my room at at any moment in time um slasher movies where the the threat is just a man those can oftentimes um affect me long afterwards um demonic possession that's another reason why like it's because long after i can really be uh, messed up quite severely um i don't know if she's listening to this but uh i will always remember um the night that i saw uh, paranormal activity three 
uh, my younger sister had to, um, not even for lack of a better word, this is the only term sufficient for what happened. My younger sister had to, like, carry me, emotionally carry me through the experience of seeing that movie. It was ludicrous how terrified I was by that. And I was uh, 19 at the time, and she had seen a lot more horror films (laughs) by that point in her life than I had. Um, And so, yeah, I, I... straight up called her and asked for assistance um so yeah uh shout out to krista for that um thanks krista thanks krista um so yeah um demonic possession ghost stuff like paranormal activity that stuff is terrifying i think john carpenter's the thing is very scary regardless of if i'm scared buy it long after yeah yeah um but i i am scared for the characters you know um, good point. good point because do i think kurt russell is going to be fine yeah he's an actor but do i think um mccready mccready's going to be okay i don't know and i really hope mccready's okay uh do i think um you know clark is going to be fine at the end Oof, I don't know. Clark doesn't have a lot of talking lines, but he's the dog guy, so I hope he's okay. Clark's not okay at the end. And that, you know. No one's okay at the end. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah, that's another thing. I do love when a horror movie has the balls to end on a really just downer note. Um, And I feel like it happens kind of a lot. Um, You know, there's... uh, there is no happy ending in the thing. Yeah, no. Um, because even if they did burn it, like, there's no way for the two guys that are still alive at the, the end the that they yeah. can get out. Like, yeah. it's going to be negative 100 million degrees outside mm-hmm. in Antarctica. Yeah. And your fire's not going to burn that long. Like, you're screwed. Yeah. Um, and the... I, at some point, I talked to someone who kind of broke down like what we have and have not seen by the time we get to that final moment. And there actually is kind of uh, a possibility that either Mac or Childs could, either one of them could be turned. I think Childs is. Yeah. That's my opinion. Um, I, and I think he was just using that time to get close to McCready so that the thing could like learn more about how to become human. So I personally think the thing is still alive and well. Okay. Um, and for me, maybe frozen, very similar to inception. Um, I think they're both human. I think, I think the thing is completely and totally taken care of. You think it's burned. Yeah. And gone. Yeah. I think it's gone. And in Inception, everyone's always like, is he in the dream? Is he not? I'm like, dude, that that top is falling over. That top is going down. He's not in a dream. He's holding his children for the first time in years, obviously. Why do I think that? Because I want it to be the case. (laughs) I want Leonardo DiCaprio to see his damn kids. Um, And yeah, why do I think neither McCready nor Childs is still the thing? Because I want him to be okay, damn it. Because <laughs> I love Kurt Russell and I love Keith David. They're both awesome. <laughs> like, um, we are both solidly on opposite yeah. sides of this yeah. fight. Oh, oh, this is an interesting question. Um, what, as a character, were you liking or rooting for Childs? At any point in the movie? I don't know if I was rooting for anyone, honestly. Like, I think you kind of have to root for Kurt Russell because he's like the main guy. Mm -hmm. But no, I didn't really have like a favorite character. Okay. Or anyone that I was like, 
hoping made it out. Maybe that's why I'm on the side of like, oh, they're definitely the thing. And the thing is still alive, just Mm -hmm. frozen for now until somebody else comes and wakes it up. Yeah. So for me, I really hope Kurt Russell's okay because I know Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's awesome. And I really hope Childs is okay because it's Keith David. And I love Keith David. But I love Keith David because at the point that I saw the thing for the first time, I was already a massive Halo fan. And Keith David does the voice of a major Halo character. I wonder if you had seen it in 1982 when it came out, if you would have been rooting for anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Because... I could be wrong on this, but I don't know that any of those actors were like a huge name at that point. Uh, Kurt Russell was. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Um, So he had already, one of the trivia facts uh, mentioned that um, the Escape From, at least one of the Escape From movies had already come out. So either Escape from New York or Escape from LA. Disclosure, I have still not seen either of them. I know that I need to. Um, but because I haven't seen either of them, I still don't know which one is the first one, which one's the second one. Um, I think New York is first and LA is second. I yeah, don't know. New York came out in 81. Okay. Um, so yeah, he was in that. Um, but also he was in a trilogy for Disney um, called, I think, the Dexter Riley trilogy. But it's uh, Computer War Tennis Shoes, Smartest Man in the World, and The World's Strongest Man or something like that wow okay i stand corrected kurt russell had done a lot before (laughs) he hadn't done over i was born in 92 yeah i didn't know these things um are you seeing the titles for the three i'm just scrolling through his filmography and it goes back really freaking far i'm pretty sure he got his start in uh like the mickey mouse club or something that would make sense um so his first thing was in 1962 okay so what's it called uh dennis the menace oh wow uh so you know he had been acting for 20 years by the time the thing came out so yeah i stand corrected friends um and i think uh now that i know i found out um earlier today um usually i'm pretty good at uh placing actors and stuff but i had no idea that um uh the doctor uh dr blair that's wilford brimley Mm -hmm. blair is the diabetes guy like that sure is shocked me to my core um so oh he passed away he did in 2020 i didn't know that um so yeah, um, it's great cast. Um, only a few uh, major names that I was able to spot. Um, but uh, I, I feel like uh, T.K. Carter, I feel like I've probably seen him in some other things. He's the Probably, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, oh, interesting thing about that. Um, there's a moment in the movie when you see him uh, listening to superstition in the kitchen apparently they did not uh acquire the rights to use the song superstition and so when it came out on uh vhs they had to swap that out with a different song and then later uh universal uh, like renegotiated and acquired the rights so now like the, so they put it back in. yeah they, they are now able to have it back in the movie interesting Um, yeah i feel like i always hear these facts of like this was the most expensive episode of this show because of this song yeah and like music is always a huge cost in filmmaking and tv producing and all of that like and i'm always kind of interested like what would happen if uh you know um let's say a new you know action movies coming out and they want to play a new song from um 
good example uh transformers 2 uh prevalently used 21 guns from green day's uh 21st century breakdown album Mm -hmm. uh so that album uh the the songs that caught heavy plays were um obviously 21 guns and know your enemy what if they didn't use one of those songs what if they played east jesus nowhere in Transformers 2? Or what if they played um, uh, Maria or, or one of those? Um, or uh, Life Before the Lobotomy? How, what's the dollar sign on that? Or would they be like, this is the song we want? And would Green Day be like, you must have sent your request wrong because you requested not a popular song? Like, would they even be able to get one of those? Songs that didn't get radio play, or... Or did they get radio play because they were chosen for the movie? But, like, you know how every record, every time, you know, Taylor Swift comes out with a new record, there's two or three songs from that new one that is in all the movies, it's on the radio all the time, but then everything else on the album, no one cares about. Like, what if the album's been out for two or three years... We've listened to Blank Space over and over on the radio. And then a movie comes out and it's like, wait a minute, this this is from the the album from two years ago, but it's not one of the big three. How much money does that cost? And yeah, like... I do not have the answers you're looking for. Me neither. But uh, yeah, I've... There there are so many times when I'm, I'm listening to albums that I absolutely adore and it's like dude this one needed radio play this is a banger the one that got all the radio hype that one sucks like uh oh um when i found out that um uh the first album from adele's i think it's 25 um everyone cares about hello off of that record but uh i think it's send my love to your new lover or some something like that. That song slaps harder than Hello ever could. And to this day, it's annoyed the shit out of me that people care about Hello when that song is just a monotonous drag of a <laughs> tune. And the, the album starts, it just goes zero to 60 as fast as it can. No one, no one ever listened to that first track. Hate it. Um, Anyways, we digress. Yeah. Again. (laughs) Welcome to the real couple. They should have put an Adele song in John Carpenter's The Thing is what I'm saying. (laughs) They should have. They should have looked into the future and said, hey Adele, we want one random song for a movie that does not fit your your sound at all. Anywho, we love John Carpenter's The Thing. Loved it. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it. So good. Um... Also, if you haven't watched it, sorry that we spoiled some stuff for you. Yeah, if you haven't seen it before and you're worried about spoilers, what? What? We're almost an hour into this episode. We Why are? are you still here? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. But uh, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. If you're one of those people who thinks you don't do horror, maybe don't start with this. I feel like they're. I feel like you could start with this. I feel like you could, but I feel like there's a plethora of even lower level stuff to to dip your toes into the pool, you know? Um, This is, I I would definitely say fear factor wise, this is definitely shallow end, but I think there are still um, movies that are uh, like just steps. Okay. You're not even like, you know. I'm I'm thinking, you know, start off with a with a horror movie that's ankle deep, where this is probably, you know, mid thigh depth, you know, still very very shallow, but don't bite off more than you can chew. But just go watch the thing and yeah. tell us what you think. It's great, so so good. Um, Comment and like on our posts. Yeah. Share our episodes. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, 
and Radio Public. All of them. Every single one of them. And Instagram at The Real Couple. We are on Instagram. Yep. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you next time. Bye.